everybody. Welcome to Wednesday night service. Amen. Good to see everyone. If we can make our way to our seats, we are going to get started tonight. Um, Mom and dad are still, uh, well, they flew up to New York today. So they're with my other brother up there and uh, his kids. Everybody knows little Joe, my brother. So uh, they're up there having a good time with them and they'll be back in another week or so. So praise God. Let's go ahead and stand up. We're going to open up with speaking some faith over the United States of America. Amen. We've been doing this three times a week for over a year now, and we are going to see the, the, the results of our faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. So let's speak these words together. 
Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and in unity, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over the United States of America. We declare that righteousness, mercy, justice, and judgment from you shall prevail. We declare that America will complete her God-given mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. We push back the darkness of Satan from this nation and call for the light of Jesus Christ to invade the media and every home, church, and school, and every town, city, and state of this great nation, the United States of America, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight. Hallelujah. You may be seated. All right. Well, we'll go into our announcements here. And I want to remind you that we are doing communion together tonight because it's the third Wednesday. And so that's a new thing that we've started in 2022. We're going to do communion every first Sunday like we always have. But then we're going to do communion on every third Wednesday night. Uh, that way, those that can't be in Sunday mornings can get a chance to partake of the Lord's Supper also. So we'll do that here um, after praise and worship. Who was who came to family art night the other night? Man, that was wild. Oh, my goodness. I did not expect that many people to come. We had 73 people show up, and it was just a wonderful time. Kids were painting, and moms and dads were painting, and grandmas and grandpas. It was super cool, but it was a great night. And that's just what we're going for is to bless your families and bring you closer together. All right, we want to remind you that tomorrow night is our monthly servant leadership meeting, okay? This will be the second one of the year for us. And uh, if you're interested in helping out and getting, you know, involved in the church more and even growing in your leadership capacity, uh, it's just a great opportunity. And so especially with Easter coming up and lots of other things going on, it is a, a great night for you to be there. So if you came last time, we ask you to please come back again tomorrow night. And, and if you can't make it, I mean, yeah, we'll forgive you because we're Christians, but we'd really like you to be there. Okay. Amen. All right. I uh, also want to do a quick reminder that intentional parenting class is, of course, course going on on Sundays from 4 to 5 p.m. It's going great. Amen. Lots and lots of uh, parents are there and even people that aren't, aren't even parents yet. They're just like, hey, someday I'm going to get married and have kids. So I want to learn about it. And I think that that is awesome that we're seeing uh, young adults do that. Uh, baby dedications are coming up on the last Sunday of March, the 27th at the Sunday morning 10 a.m. service. So if you want to dedicate your baby or your child to the Lord, uh, this is what we're doing. And um, you can sign up at the info booth. And that's super important for you. And if you're like, well, I don't really know what that is. Well, maybe, you know, you're familiar with like in the Catholic Church, they will christen or sprinkle a child. Well, we don't do that, but we will dedicate your child to the Lord. And so that's a great thing for you to do. So sign up if you're interested in that. Also, if you want to play softball on the church, softball team yeah we know you do you want to play you want to play especially if you're good we you want to play and we want you to play all right so uh anyway uh see robert if you're interested in that they've been practicing on sundays and uh, we want to get you guys going for that all right and also i want to remind you that uh easter of course is coming up april the 17th and uh, we're doing an outreach that day. It's going to be a big day. It'll be probably our biggest service of the entire year. And uh, it's very important uh, that, of course, you're all there to celebrate the greatest day in Christian, uh, the Christian faith, right? Jesus <laughs> rose from the dead. Hello, it's a big deal. 
the greatest day in history, but we're also doing a big Easter egg hunt. And so we still need eggs to keep coming in. And of course, candy to put in the eggs, just no chocolate. We don't want it to melt in the sunshine, but keep bringing that in. And there's some, there's some information on the info booth there, uh, different areas you could help out with. We're going to have a photography booth doing free photos for families, uh, just all sorts of great things that day. So if you want to get involved, sign up for that and help us out as we preach the gospel that day. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Who knows what time it is now? Yes, it's happy time. Praise the Lord. And uh, we're going to get a chance to uh, give our tithes and our offerings tonight. Praise God. I thank everybody on Sunday. We uh, gave to the Samaritan's Purse, uh, the charity from Franklin Graham. They're on the ground in Ukraine doing a great job setting up a hospital and distributing food and all sorts of stuff. So thank you, everybody that helped out with that. It was an awesome, awesome offering. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Matthew 6. If you need an envelope, raise your hand. Amen. And so I'm just going to keep encouraging you as we have, uh, you know, I've seen people complain about inflation and gas prices every day. You know, in fact, it's, it's affected everything. I've had more marriage counseling taking place. I had a husband called me this week for counseling. Guess his wife complained. You never take me anywhere expensive. So he took her to the gas station. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> all right. That was, thank you. All right. I tried. I tried. That was all right. I don't know. I'm trying to I'm just trying to, I want to, you know, I want to fulfill every need here. Praise God. Some of you needed to laugh. It was all over your face. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. No more jokes tonight. Matthew 6, starting at verse 25. Starting at verse 25. Praise God. And so Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothing to wear or enough fuel to put into the tank. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No, they can't. And you better know that you're more valuable than a bird. Amen? I mean, Jesus loves the birds, but He loves you more than that. If He's going to take care of the birds, He's going to take care of your needs too. Let's uh, skip down here to verse 31. Jesus continues, so don't worry about these things saying, what do we eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of who? The unbelievers. Let me see your hand if you're a believer tonight. Amen. You're a believer. You're not an unbeliever. So these things shouldn't be dominating your thoughts. No. Why? Because your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Whenever you bring a need or a request to Jesus, that's not the first time he heard about it. He already knew what your need was. And so verse 33, a famous verse, I'll just do it in the King James. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And so I encourage you tonight, amen, if you've got a need, then Jesus has it, amen. He knows it, and if we're seeking him first, it will be added to you. You're not a beggar. You don't have to beg and plead and crawl and bawl and squall. No, Jesus will give it to you, amen. He knows your needs. All right, yes, let's stand up together. We're going to speak some words of faith over our tithes and our offerings tonight. We're going to get into some praise and worship, and then we will do communion together uh, right before we get into the Word. And we're continuing our expository study on 1 Corinthians tonight. Amen? It's been real popular.
All right, let's go. Uh, here we, uh, as we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth and business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all of my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously in the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go. Okay, join us up here at the altar. Let's worship the Lord together. Because we are free in Jesus Christ. Amen. Step out of the shadow. into the wild and don't be afraid run into wide open spaces graces waiting for you dance like the weight has been lifted graces waiting where the spirit
worship you, Lord. You are. 
you're working even when I don't see it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when I don't see it you're working even when I don't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker. Miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. 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 Hallelujah. Let's raise our hands to him tonight. Amen. He is the miracle worker in our lives. He's the promise keeper. Amen. The scripture said that God is not a person, so he doesn't lie. People will lie to you, even sometimes good people. But we thank you, Lord, that you are not a man that you should lie. You keep your promises. You keep your word. You can be trusted. And we exalt your name tonight, Father. We love you, Jesus. And we praise your name tonight. And we ask that you would have your way in our midst and in this service, Lord. You are good. And your mercy endures forever and ever. We thank you for it, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. Amen. The Lord is good. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and let you go to your seats tonight. I was going to do communion right now. I think I'm going to save it to the end of the service, guys. Okay. I know that's a little bit of a curveball, but I think that'll be a good way for us to close out tonight. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Wow. What a good time of worship, man. You guys good? Yeah. yeah. Amen. Praise God. They did good. Hallelujah. That's all for Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to be continuing tonight. We're doing, if you haven't been to the last couple of Wednesday nights, uh, we're, uh, we're doing something that I've personally enjoyed. It's stretched me. But we are doing an expository study on the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, uh, again, just to catch you up in case you haven't been here, uh, you know, a lot of the times um, 
uh, well, mainly my main style of preaching would be what you call a topical sermon, where I'll get the topic from the Lord and uh, and then just kind of go from there and uh, and and build on that for each week. But what we're doing right now uh, is called a topical, or excuse me, an expository sermon, where we are literally going through the entire book of First Corinthians, chapter by chapter, nearly verse by verse, and it's been it's been very interesting and. Honestly, out of my uh, 15 years of full-time ministry, I've never really uh, done an entire book like this at any time. But it's also been interesting that I've literally all I've been doing is literally reading verse by verse, chapter by chapter from the Bible. And I've never had so many people come up to me as I have the last couple of weeks like, man, did you write that sermon about me or what? I mean, and I'm like, dude, I'm just reading the, I, literally, I didn't even write this sermon. It's the Bible. What are you talking about? So anyway... We're going to get into 1 Corinthians tonight, and if anything hits you or rubs you the wrong way, don't get mad at me. It is simply Jesus. I did not write this. Jesus wrote this. Amen. And uh, so anyway, praise God. Let's open up tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Who's excited? Man, I've been loving this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, praise God again. I mean, if, if something rubs you the wrong way, hey, you must have needed to hear it uh, because God brought you here tonight. Amen. Now, you've got to know, just to remind you here, that uh, as we study, the, we're going to look at three chapters tonight. Hopefully, if I can move quickly, we're going to look at chapters 7, 8, and 9. And so it covers a wide variety of things. But Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote the letter to the Corinthians. He actually wrote three letters. We have two of them, First and Second Corinthians in your Bible. We do not have the very first letter that he wrote. I, you know, I don't know what happened to it. I heard the mail service wasn't as good back then. Maybe it got lost in transition. Who knows? But that letter, uh, we do not have a copy of that. That'd be sweet if we did. But we've got First and Second Corinthians in our Bibles. And so Paul established a church there. I believe it was in about in Acts chapter 18. He established a church there. He stayed there for a year and a half, okay? And that was the second longest amount that he ever stayed in one city uh, because he usually just started a church and moved on. He stayed there for a year and a half. The only other city he spent more time in was Ephesus, and that's where you get the book of Ephesians. But here we have, he writes this letter to the Corinthians. Now, they were very sincere people. They did love the Lord, but they were insanely immature. They, uh, as we saw last week, I mean, last week was a wild ride, okay? If you were here last week, we looked at some crazy things in the scripture here. But there was, I mean, a lot of sexual immorality, uh, and, and we looked at that. There was uh, p the Christians, they were fighting with each other. Uh, they literally, they were suing each other. People that went to church together were suing each other. Lawsuits, going to court over, I mean, it, it even said it was minor things. It wasn't like some big thing. And so they were suing each other, and Paul was like, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, that you can't work this out amongst each other. You've got to take it to the courts and have someone that's not even a Christian settle your disputes. Shame on you. And so Paul was upset about that. And we're going to pick up tonight in chapter 7. Now, uh, this is an interesting chapter as well. Do I have any married people in the his house? Yeah. All right. Do I have any single people in here? Okay, you're one or the other, so you, at some point you should have identified yourself by now. We know who you are. It's a small town. Thank you, all right? And so uh, this is going to hit everybody here. This is, uh, is going it, to, it talks about marriage relationships, and it also addresses single people. Now, here's the deal. Paul was single. 
never got married. And in fact, as you'll see, he makes a pretty strong case for why he, he pretty much felt it was pretty good to be a single guy. And, uh, and it, it, for him, it freed him up to do some of the things that he wanted to do to serve the Lord. But of course, he says it is a great thing to be married. And as you're married, there's a lot that goes into that. And you ever notice that, that marriage, you know, it looked really easy when you watched that Hallmark movie, didn't it? And then you got married and you were like, whoa, <laughs> man, what happened? Well, it's awesome. Marriage is awesome. It's wonderful. The Lord has ordained it and blessed it. But uh, it, it's not always a cakewalk, as I have found out, and probably especially as Pastor Katie has found. She's been married to me for like 18 years or something. It's been, so she's, you know, pray for her, but she's done really well. All right. Um, but we're going to pick up tonight starting in chapter 7. And uh, chapter 7 is one of the longer chapters of 1 Corinthians. So um, we're going to read a whole lot of it, but not every single verse. All right. So let's go. Who's ready to go? 1 Corinthians 7, I'm in the NLT, the New Living Translation, starting at verse 1. He said, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, so uh, as we've seen throughout here, they wrote him a letter with a bunch of questions. He said, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. All right, you get one. That, is that clearly understood? You get one, all right? Make the best of it. And, uh, and as we saw, Corinth was a wild city. Uh, we would probably compare it to a modern-day Las Vegas slash San Francisco hybrid, something in between. It was wild. There was sin, and there was a lot of money. There was a lot of culture, and uh, there was a lot of prostitution, as we saw um, in some of the stuff we read in chapters 5 and 6. But Paul was like, this is crazy around here. You get one wife, and if you're a lady, you get one husband. All right, look at verse 3. Now, I'll say as I read this, this isn't normally the stuff that I preach on. I'm just reading the Bible. If you like to hear these type of sermons, my brother Josh loves to preach on this stuff, wherever he's at. All right, is he in here? Oh, there he is. Okay, there he is. Yeah, he loves to talk about this stuff. It's like out of my comfort zone, but I'm like, hey, it's Scripture, so I can at least read it. And and, and you know what I mean? So here we go. It's going to be a wild ride from this verse forward. Let's go, ladies and gentlemen. Amen. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. (laughs) The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time. All right, everyone say limited time. So you can... Give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again. Why? So that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, again, if this hits close to home, it's Jesus speaking, not me. I do not know that information about your life. Uh, But biblically speaking, as a married couple, you should be healthy in this department, right? And I do underscore the word married couple. If you're not married, this is not ordained of God, and according to Scripture, you should not be uh, partaking in these activities, right? But there obviously needs to be a balance and understanding amongst each other, right? And and I've seen people kind of maybe use these verses to uh, go at their husband or wife a little bit, like, hey, the Scripture says right here. And, you know, I mean, come on, let's, you, gotta, you need to be a little bit reasonable and realistic. Um, and sometimes, you know, we hear of one of the partners um, Sometimes using sex as a bargaining chip, like, hey, 
you know, I'm, I'm, we got kids in here, so I'm, I'm, I'm minding myself. But, you know, like, hey, you, you're not, I'm not going to, you're not going to get any unless you start doing this, this, and this for me. You know, hey, you know, listen, I'm a pastor. People come to me for their marriage stuff, like, every day, okay? <laughs> I've heard a lot of things. And so, you know, and, and they'll use it as a bargaining chip. And really, that's not right, okay, to, you know, dangle this over here. Hey, if you vacuum the house and do the dishes and take out the trash and reshingle the roof, then this will happen for you. And that's really not biblical, wives or husbands. You really aren't supposed to be doing it that way. Um, now, biblically speaking, the only time that you take a prolonged break uh, from, you know, these type of activities is, as Paul said, if you're going to take an agreed time to draw closer to the Lord. Now, some of you are like, man, I should be really close to the Lord by now. Anyway, let's go. Um, now, afterward, afterward, again, this you're probably not going to hear me preach on this for a long, long time. So enjoy it now, people. It's probably going to be 15 years before I hit this topic again. Um, but afterward, you should come together again. Why should you come together again? Why? So Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, that's true. You know, we, we don't want to make things harder on our spouse and, uh, and give way to the devil to, you know, bring temptation into their life. And, of course, we're all responsible for our own conduct, according to Philippians. So there's no excuse for going out and sinning and doing something wrong. But we should, as a good husband or as a good wife, uh, make sure that we are uh, doing our, you know, our, our marriage duties in that area. Okay, all right. Uh, let me, I just want to get through chapter 7 as fast as I can, all right? I heard a good quote today, though. Actually, Brother Lawrence shared it on Facebook, but it's from Ken Blunt. He's a minister that's uh, preached here at our church. All right, this just goes out. If this, you know, if, if this uh, hits you, then praise God, receive it. Uh, boyfriends, boyfriends should not get a husband's benefits. And husbands should not get a boyfriend's restrictions. Hallelujah, praise God. All right. So uh, that's just something for you to consider. It. Hey, and it, and as we're going to see here, if you're a, 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 a boyfriend and, and, you know, you think this is a need in your life, you don't need to be engaged for 10, 15 years. Put a ring on the finger. Then God totally blesses it. Amen? But there's no need to, you know, well, we'll be engaged for 10 years and I expect her. No, that's wrong. Shame on you. Verse 7, verse 7. Let's go. But I wish everyone were single just as I am. What? Yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. And so he refers to something that Jesus even referred to in the Gospels, that some people are gifted to be able to remain single for their whole life. Now, I, uh, most people are going to get married at some point. But if someone uh, is gifted and called by God to remain single forever, then praise God. That's, that's a really good thing. And, uh, you know, you can get a lot done for the Lord if that's the case. God will give you the grace for it. Clearly not everybody has that gift or that calling, but some people do. Verse 8, so I say to those who are not married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just like I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. Can I get an amen? Man, it's better uh, to, to get married than to burn with lust. Now, as I said, Paul remained single and never did get married, and, and he makes a strong case all throughout here that there's a lot of benefits uh, to him being single. And, and as we said a minute ago, or as he said, you know, I wish everybody could stay single. But it's a good thing uh, for us to have good, strong, healthy Christian marriages. I mean, that's the will of God for so many of us because, hey, we're reproducing, and at this church we reproduce at a very rapid rate. Uh, you know, hey, we're like the, the bunny rabbit church of Barstow. We 
pop out 10, 15 babies a year around here. I've never seen anything like it. But what are we doing? We're building a Christian population within the high desert. I mean, one way or the other. We're just, we're making them ourselves and we're witnessing. It's just, it's just going great. But, uh, but again here, he's like, it's better to get married than to burn with lust. And so I know our modern society talks about, and I got to watch that I don't preach here. I got to stick to this. But our modern society, you know, has this, uh, you know, well, uh, you need to live with each other and then, then get engaged. And then drag on the engagement for as long as you possibly can. And then finally, if you know she's the right one, praise God, then you should get married. And that's really not, in fact, I've seen study after study, couples that live together before marriage have an insanely higher rate of divorce than couples that just get married. I've seen study after study. And so that's the world's wisdom that says, well, you better try the milk before you buy the cow, brother. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) No, that's the world's wisdom. That's not what God said. God said, hey, get married, (laughs) and then I'll bless you. It'll fall into place, amen? But you need to get married if you're you're burning with lust for the, you know, get married, all right? Let's go on to verse 10 here. But for those who are married— I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. All right? But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. And so we're talking about Christian couples right here. Yeah, so, all right, a deep topic that, you know, I'm going to try to cover in about one minute's time. But is divorce a sin? Yes, it is, depending on the situation. Now, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 that if your spouse commits adultery, then you are permitted to divorce. But it wouldn't it be great, as we've seen a lot of times, that you can still reconcile and God can work this thing out. But uh, you aren't just allowed to say, hey, he annoys me. I, he's so annoying now. I didn't know that about him, so I want to leave him. I want to divorce him because he annoys the tar out of me. That's not grounds for divorce. Or, man, you know, she gained weight, or he gained weight, or he does this, and I didn't know that he snored. No one told me. That's not a reason to get divorced. And, you know, California, I think it was 1970, introduced the no-fault divorce law. What a mistake that was. I mean, divorce skyrocketed over 50% now amongst the world. Amongst church-going Christians, it's below 10%. You know, legit, solid Christians. But uh, according to Scripture, you can't just say, I don't like him anymore. We've grown apart, and oh, my gosh, we just don't have that like we used to. Then rekindle it. Fix it. Go to one of the marriage things at church here. You know, go to church together. Uh, do something, you know, make some work on it, but you don't just throw it away. And that's what Paul's talking about here. I also would argue, and, you know, if someone if they want to debate me with this, that's fine. I think if you're being physically abused, I believe the Lord would understand that. I don't think he needs uh, the lady to be getting her brains bashed out and expect her to stay there, or the men, because I have seen men getting physically abused also. And I that's messed up, wrong, and I believe that God would forgive that as well. So um, is divorce the unpardonable sin? Is it like, you know, the no, God will forgive it, right? I mean, you know, it's not the unforgivable, you're doomed to hell sin, right? We know that. But praise God, his will is for if there's conflict and issue to be able to work it out. Amen. And we'll see some more of this here in the scripture. Are you still with me? Is everybody going to stick with me tonight? All right. Praise God. Just reading the scriptures. Amen. Verse 12. Let's go to verse 12. All right. So um, 
the first the first few verses that we looked at here um, were pertaining to if you are a Christian. Now, what about if you're a Christian but your husband's not a Christian, or you're a Christian but your wife is not a Christian? Well, let's look at this. Verse twelve. Now I'm going to speak to the rest of you. Though I do not have a direct command from the Lord, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. So you can't just say, well, he's not even a Christian. I'm going to leave him. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. Verse 14, for the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. And so if you're the only saved person in the marriage, man, you're the one that's bringing some morals and, 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 some, and some blessing of God to this thing. And the ultimate hope is that your spouse would end up getting saved and going to church with you, right? So check it out. Verse 15, but if the husband or wife who is not a believer insist on leaving, what do you do? You let them go. What? Did Paul say that? Paul said that. If the one, if the spouse that is not a Christian, not a Christian, says, you know, I insist on leaving, I will not stay with you, then it says, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? So check that out. That's a lot of good. I mean, that's Bible right there. That's strictly simply what the Bible says about the marriage relationship. And again, that's not something we talk about all the time. But if you had any questions, I believe that answers those. All right. And so let's look here at verse 32. I'm trying to get through chapter 7 because chapter 8 is really fun. We're getting ready to talk about what about the meat that's been sacrificed to idols. Did you ever wonder about that? We're getting ready to answer those questions. Praise God. I'm guessing none of you ever wondered about that, but I'm going to answer those questions. <laughs> verse 32, he said, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. Men, can I get an amen? Some of you, your wives are in here, so you don't want to raise your hand. But ha, mine's over in the youth group. All right, let's go. Verse, <laughs> she knows I'm preaching this. We're good. It's a joke. Verse 34, the, this married man, his interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband and how to feed the kids and how to get them to school and how to make sure their science projects done that they didn't tell you about until five minutes before it was time to go to school, right? Moms, am I right? Yeah, I know I'm right. And so, moms, you've got a lot on your plate, don't you? This was your perfect chance to say amen. I mean, moms, I set you up. I served you on a silver platter. Moms, you've got a lot going on in your life, don't you? All right. Now, listen, I'm saying this for your benefit. That's Paul speaking, not me. Not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. And so, yeah, there's definitely more responsibilities when you've got a spouse and you've got children. I know this. You know this. 
And, I, you know, Paul said I could do better ministry as a single man. And so there's a lot of things in my life in ministry that I got to say no to or pass on that if I was a single pastor, I could probably do. I could probably hang out with you all a lot more, right? <laughs> but listen, no regrets. That This is something that Paul said that, hey, if you're single and you've got the grace of God to remain single, stay single. But if you need to be married, then praise God, you can be married, all right? And so Paul seems to be advocating for being single in some of these verses. Um, I'm going to quick, well, quickly read these, and i got to get to chapter 8, or we're going to run out of time. Verse 36, but if a man thinks that he's treating his fiance improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It's not a sin. But if he's decided firmly not to marry, and there is no urgency, and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiance does well, and the person who doesn't marry, what does he do? He does even better. Whoa, all right? And so Paul makes a clear case here that if you're single, God bless you, you know, and you can remain single, that's going to be awesome. You can probably get a whole lot done in your life. And if you're called to get married, then by the grace of God, stay married, and God will help you. Either way is fine. You just, you know, you obey the Lord on that. All right, who enjoyed chapter 7? That was fun. Let's go on to chapter 8. I'm just going to keep moving here. So this is an interesting chapter uh, that was very specific to a legitimate issue the church was facing in Corinth. And so we can get advice from this uh, as kind of, the, you know, maybe you've got some gray areas in your life where the Bible doesn't specifically say, hey, do it just like this. And so there's some, you know, there may be some gray areas in your life. A lot of issues are straight black and white, but there's some gray areas, and we could apply this to that. Now, I've never personally faced the issue at hand right here. The issue was this. Idol worship was a big thing in Corinth. There was temples to Zeus. There was temples to this god, the god of the sun, the god of the moon, the god of the water, the god of the fire. And, they, and what the people would do, the Corinthians, they would offer food and meat as sacrifices. And of course, those gods weren't real, so the food never got ate. So what would happen? People would collect the food, then they would go resell it at a wholesale rate. Come on, yeah. And so the Christians were in uh, like, wow, what are we going to do here? Because there was literally a temple market where you could go get meat and some of this food on sale. It's like 50% off the next day because the idol didn't eat it. And there was also basically restaurants, so to speak, there, where they were souping up hot food straight from the idol. Who wants a Zeus burger? Come on, you can get cheese on it, yeah. And so people, they didn't know, you know, the Christians were like, what do I do with this? Um, I mean, I could get, you know, a ribeye steak, like 75, uh, I'm not saying it was that, but they could get this meat for sale. They could, you know, what if, what if you go to your friend's house? And they don't share the same conviction, but they're serving up dinner that they got on sale at the temple market, and it was offered to an idol. The Christians, they didn't know where to go with this. Is it a sin to eat some of this food that had been offered up to an idol, or can we just straight up eat it? And so this was a topic that they were dealing with. So let's look at a few verses here in chapter 8, because that's a great question. I don't know. I, I, you may feel guilty uh, doing something like this. So look here, starting in verse 12. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? 
Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god, and there's only one god, right? So we know, first of all, that it's not a real god. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God. Everybody say, one God. The Father by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there's one Lord. Say, one Lord. And it's Jesus Christ through whom all things were created and through whom we live. Now, let's skip down. Well, let's, I'll just keep reading. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. I mean, they didn't, they didn't know. They lived in Corinth. So when they eat food that's been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods, and their weak consciences are violated. They, they, don't, know, they don't know the difference. So verse 8, it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. And so what's he saying? Eating this meat, it's not going to send you to hell, and, and it's not going to send you to heaven. The, 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 there, there's no total right or wrong answer on this topic. It's kind of gray. And so, listen, it's great to have a good, healthy diet, but that's not going to get you God's approval. Okay, let's go to verse 9. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. Now, that's key right there. As a Christian, I don't want to do anything that's going to cause somebody else to stumble. And so Paul's saying, hey, as far as I'm concerned, you've got freedom in this. But be very careful with your freedom. Because we, as Americans and as adults, know that we have freedoms. But with freedom comes great responsibility. I'm free to do a lot of things, but I don't necessarily want to do something stupid that my kids are going to repeat. And like, well, hey, I'm free. It's a free country. You know, people say dumb stuff like that. And, and, and listen. If your freedom is going to cause someone else to sin, you need to maybe do without sometimes. And I hear people make this argument about drinking alcohol. And you guys know my stance. <laughs> I'm not going to go there tonight because I don't have time. But I don't think Christians should drink any alcohol of any kind. And anyway, but I'm not going to go into a sermon on that. But one reason that I don't think a Christian should even touch alcohol, what if, you know, Pastor Dave thinks it's okay to drink a cold beer while I watch a basketball game. Well, maybe for me, I can control myself and not cross the magical threshold called drunk, which none of us actually know what it is. So anyway, what if uh, for me, I'm like, well, I know how to drink without getting drunk, so it's okay. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I know that I have a church full of people, and I know in this very room, I've got tons of people at High Desert Word Center that God miraculously delivered from alcohol, including my own father. And so, how bad would it be if I'm like, you know what, forget you guys, I've got freedom, I'll do whatever I want to do. And what if one of these Christians that looks up to me sees old Pastor Dave knocking down a cold one, well, if it's okay for him, I'll just do it. Then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they can't stop at one. They've knocked, they've knocked a 12-pack down, and now they've fallen backwards, they fall into guilt, they fall into shame and depression, and they just absolutely lose it all. And my, I'm not even exaggerating, these things really happen. And so... You may be free to do some things, but you need to use your freedom wisely. And so let's finish what Paul ends up saying here. But he basically says, I can eat whatever meat I feel like eating, but if it's going to cause somebody else to stumble, then I won't eat meat ever again. But uh, let's uh, finish up here. Let's, let's go to verse uh, 10. 
For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died would be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you're sinning against Christ. Whoa! Come on. I don't want to sin against anybody. I don't want to sin against anybody in here. But heaven forbid that I literally sin against Jesus Christ himself. Wow. That's how thin and fine of a line this is. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I'll never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. What's that? That's maturity right there. That is what a mature Christian sounds like. I'm free to do whatever I want in Christ, you know, as long as it's not a, clearly a sin out of the Bible. But there's some things, even if, the, if it's a gray area, I'm going to err on the side of not causing somebody else to stumble in sin. Do you think that sounds like good advice? Even if you don't, it's the Bible, so it's right. Oh, all right. Let's go to chapter 9. Chapter 9. Chapter 8 was fun. Wow, let's go to chapter 9. My goodness, all right. I think we can pull this off. It'll be three more chapters in one night. So chapter 9, uh, some more, more interesting stuff that they're dealing with. Verse 1, let's go. Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Isn't it because of my works that you belong to the Lord? Even if others think that I am not an apostle, I certainly am to you. You yourselves are proof that I am the Lord's apostle. And so what's going on here? As we saw in the first few chapters, there were some people that are like, you know what? Um, we're going to break the church into teams here. Peter's my favorite teacher because he was a real apostle. He actually walked with Jesus. So I am on team Peter. And then Parts of other parts of the church are like, you know what? Apollos is the he's an intellectual. He is so educated. He is so smart. He is so deep. Brother, he is deep. I am on team Apollos. And then other people are like, I don't care. I'm on team Paul. Paul's the best. And so Paul's like, oh my gosh, this was in chapter three. If you were studying this with us, Paul's like, we're all on team Jesus, okay? Quit breaking your don't have a favorite teacher. Don't don't say that you're no. Just all these guys are good. So what we have here is some people are like, Paul's not even a real apostle. He didn't even walk with Jesus. But Paul cleverly fits in right here. I saw Jesus with my own eyes. Now it's true. Paul did not walk side by side with Jesus for the three and a half years of his earthly ministry, like Peter, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and the boys did. But Paul did actually see Jesus with his very own eyes, didn't he? On the road to Damascus. When Paul got saved, Jesus literally appeared, and Paul was blinded from the brightness of the glory of God. And Paul ended up, you know, he got healed, but he became a Christian from that experience. And so Paul's like, hey, I may not have walked with Jesus, but don't say that I didn't see him with my own eyes, because I did, okay? I did see Jesus with my own eyes. And so we're going to skip down here to verse 12. And what we got here, I mean, we're hitting so many random topics, but this is awesome stuff to cover. And so 
One thing that we see here um, that Paul addresses is how ministers deserve to get paid for the work they do in ministry, just like any other person deserves to get paid for their work. Now, I'm fortunate because this is, this is a debate that goes on to this day in Christian circles, but I have the best church family in the world, so no one here argues that good old Pastor Dave deserves to have a house and feed his children. Thank you, guys. I like feeding my kids. and so. <laughs> but there are some people like, pastors and ministers they don't deserve to get paid it's not like they work anyway and i would just like to tell you that i do more than the three hours of work that you guys see each week amen <laughs> and so but but paul goes on here to say a preacher deserves to get paid also if you're going to receive from his services this is paul's words not mine so i feel you know i feel awkward even preaching this because i'm a pastor but it's the bible and so paul's like if you're going to sit there and freely receive from his services then, hey, you should help support him so he can actually keep preaching to you, all right? And so let's start here at verse 7. I've spoken approximately 3,000 words in the last 20 minutes with no water. Excuse me. Um, I'm not actually counting, but I'm, that, that sounded really good. So, all right. Verse 7. What soldier has to pay for his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of the fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Like, wait, you can drink sheep milk? Anyway, verse 8. Am I expressing merely a human opinion, or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when he said this? So he's like, even a dumb ox is allowed to eat the grass <laughs> while he's working. And look at this, verse 10, wasn't he actually speaking to us? Yes, it was written for us so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect to share the harvest. Since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to a harvest of physical food and drink? If you support others who preach to you, shouldn't we have an even greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. We would rather put up with anything than to be an obstacle to the good news about Christ. And so, yes, Paul makes a really good point here. If you're a soldier being sent to war, I think it's stupid if we're like, hey, we need you to, you know, suit up and head on over there to Europe for the war. Uh, we're going to need you to pay, you know, that machine gun's going to cost you $400. That helmet's going to cost you. Oh, you did want a bulletproof vest. Okay, that's going to be another 600 I mean, that would be wrong if we did that. And so Paul says it would be wrong to make soldiers pay for all their own expenses. And he said that I'm here doing the Lord's work. It's not wrong for the church there to feed me. And and, and anyway, let's go down to verse. Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip forward some for the sake of time. But do you get the point that Paul's making there? That uh, the minister would deserve also to at least live as comfortably as everybody else in the community. And and so obviously this is a hot topic in uh, some circles. I don't believe that the preacher should. You know, every, the whole rest of the church is living in shacks and huts, and the preacher's living in a mansion and driving a Lambo while everybody else is giving every penny they have to. That's wrong, but it's also wrong how some churches, it's okay for all of them to drive, a, you know, a brand-new 2022 vehicle, and, well, the preacher needs to drive a 1980 Chevette. And, you know, Lord, you keep him, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. You know, that's, that's the attitude of some people in churches, and so— I thank God for our church family that you guys are tithers and givers and, you know, as pastoral staff that we obviously, you know, we aren't rich by any means. But 
we're able to feed our kids and keep a roof over our head, and nobody complains about it around here. So thank you for that. I like food, you know. Amen. <laughs> and so let's, uh, let's go here um, to, uh, let's skip a few verses down here. Skip a few verses down. Where do I want to go? Let's go down to verse 22. Verse 22, all right? Check this out. And so Paul was, what he's going to talk about here is he wanted to reach everybody. And so what he's getting ready to say is when I'm around, you know, uh, poor people, I know how to speak their language. When I'm around super rich people, I can preach to them just the same. I know how to, I can talk their talk. If I'm around Jews, I'll talk about my Jewish culture. If I'm around Gentiles, I'll talk about how I'm a Roman citizen. I, he was saying, I can relate to anybody if it's going to help me win them to Jesus. All right? And so verses 22 through 23, he said, When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. And so that's good news for us. I mean, you should be able to know to how to relate to anybody and everybody. I think older people should be able to talk to younger people. Younger people should be able to talk to older people. You should be able to talk to somebody that's a millionaire and not say, man, they're, they probably cheated to get all of it anyway. I, I hate rich people. No, Jesus loves rich people. Amen. You should be able to hold a respectable conversation with them. And you should be able to talk to poor people also and say, uh, not, not say something like, well, they probably deserve it. They're probably, man, stop that. Jesus loves them. You should be able to talk to anybody and everybody about Jesus and find some common ground. That's what Paul did. Can I get an amen? All right. Can you do three more verses that I'll shut up? If you let me do three, I'll shut up. Okay. Verses 24 through 27. We're coming down to the last of this, and then we're going to take communion. Josh, you want to come up? And so... Paul closes this chapter out with talking about living a disciplined spiritual life. Look at verse 24. He said, don't you realize that in a race everybody runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Think about that. If, if I'm in a race, dude, I'm not, I'm not playing for a second. I'm going to run to win. And if I am living my life for Jesus, I'm not living my life for Jesus just to do a halfway job. I'm running my life for Jesus to give him everything that I can give him. And the Corinthians were very much into sports. They had, other than the uh, Greek Olympics, they had the second highest sporting competition of the day in their city. Look at verse 25. He said, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Look at this. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Wow. And so Paul's like, man, I would do anything to reach people. I'll give up money. I'll give up, you know, my 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 prestige. I'll give up my place in the community. I'll give it all up if I can reach someone for Jesus. And he's like, I discipline my body. He would go without food. He as, as you know, he he took beatings. He took 
He took being stoned, people throwing rocks at him. He took being, he put up with all sorts of stuff so he could win people to Jesus. And why did he take his Christian faith so seriously? Which he ultimately died for. The Roman government cut off his head in 66 AD. Why was he willing to lose it all for Jesus? He said, I feel, I'm afraid that after I preach to everybody else, I might get disqualified. And so I'm encouraging you tonight. Let's stand up together. We're getting ready to do communion. But Paul's like, I do not want to be a hypocrite. If I tell everybody else what the Bible says to do to live and I don't do it myself, if I help everybody else receive victory in their life, and then in the end, I don't because I just couldn't stay disciplined for Jesus, I'm going to get disqualified, and I don't want that. And so I'm encouraging us, we covered a lot of ground tonight, and that's how it is when you're doing a study like this. It's not just looking at one specific point. You're looking at a, a barrage of different things that Paul talked about here. But I'm closing out with this, that we can live a disciplined Christian life like Paul did. I don't want to, in the end, save everybody else's family in Barstow and then lose my own. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to help all you guys get your healing and then me and myself not get it. I don't want everybody else to get saved and lose it myself. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? We don't want that to be our story. And so all the things we're reading tonight, man, if any of it offended you, then you just talk to you and God about that. That's got nothing to do with me, all right? That was you and Jesus, and I didn't know who. <laughs> anyway, praise God. All right. Let's go ahead and, uh, and, and let's go ahead and come forward. We're going to receive the communion elements. You do not need to be a member of this church to take communion with us. You just need to be a member of the family of God. So if Jesus is your Savior, please come up and get the elements. You can take them back to your seats, and then we will receive them together. Amen. Josh, you want to lead us in a song for just a minute? Moving in our midst, I worship you, I worship you, and you are here, you're working in this place, I worship you, I worship you. For the sake of time, you know, we aren't going to take super long on this night. But I'm really glad that we're doing communion on Wednesdays now. We've never done this um, in, our, in our past, but we know how important communion is. It is a vital part of the Christian life. And so um, I'm going to read here. This is from 1 Corinthians 11 because the Corinthians didn't know how to take communion without fighting with each other. So Paul gave some instructions on it. But 1 Corinthians 
chapter 11 and verse 28. He says, that is why you should examine yourself or judge yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. And so we're going to take a minute here tonight and examine our, our lives. Just a minute. Just a moment of you and God talking to each other. And if you need to repent of something and ask God's forgiveness, do it right now. Ask him to forgive you. And he will. Amen. And if you just need to talk to him about something else, talk to God for a minute. And then we'll go ahead and receive the communion. thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess those sins, you are faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, we know that we are not going to heaven because of what we done. We're going to heaven because of what you did. But that's enough to motivate us to live our best for you. I don't want to trample on that. I don't want to make light of that. Lord, I love you and I thank you that you paid the price for my sins. I should have been dying on the cross somewhere to pay for my sins. But you did it, Jesus. And so I thank you. You are good and your mercy endures forever. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23. Paul said, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this to remember me. And so, Jesus, we take this bread tonight. It represents your body being broken. You were wounded for our transgressions. You were bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon you. And by your stripes, we we're healed because of your broken body. We can have peace and we can have healing in our bodies. We do this in remembrance of you. Thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And so Jesus, we recognize that this juice, it is not literally your blood, but it represents your blood and it paid the price for our sins. We get to go to heaven now. We don't have to go to hell because of your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for this. Hallelujah. Who's thankful for the blood of Jesus tonight? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, you're good. Your mercy endures forever. Let's close out by singing nothing but the blood of Jesus, and then we'll do our prayer and Barstow Faith Confession. But let's sing this together tonight. Amen. Let's, let's do this. Lord, to him. 
is good, isn't he? Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. Wow. Well, amen. I feel like we just took a wild ride tonight. We were all over the place, but it's the word of God. Amen. And I'd love studying his word with you. I want to remind you, man, be here on Sunday. We've been looking at some end times things. And if you don't think it's the end times and that, I mean, I just, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> we're seeing from the Bible that this whole thing is wrapping up real soon and it's super important for you to be in God's house with God's people and so I highly encourage you not for my benefit but for all of your benefit man let's get to the altars of God into the house of God every chance we get it is not the time to be playing games right now it's getting real serious amen um, let's go ahead and I'm going to close out in prayer. If you need, if you came needing hands laid on you for prayer, I'm going to have uh, Leah come on up. And if any of my other, uh, Melinda, you want to come up? Uh, if you need prayer, come to one of these ladies. I'll lay hands on you. I think I've got a few people I need to talk to, so I may not be able to stand right here. Uh, but if you need me, come see me. I'm here for you, no doubt about it. If you do need me specifically, come to me, all right? Uh, let's raise our hands tonight, and we're going to close in prayer. Robert, did you need a few men? Robert needs a few good men. For, uh, we have a funeral tomorrow, and Robert needs a few men to help him with some tables and chairs. And so if you're an able-bodied man and you know it, amen, see Robert for us right after service. Thank you. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for what we've seen in your word tonight. And, Lord, your word is awesome. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes the innermost desires of our heart, Hebrews 4 tells us. And so, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we have received your word tonight. And, Lord, I thank you that your blessing is upon every person in this building, every person watching online. Lord, use us this week to share the life of Jesus with the world around us. Keep these families safe. Bless their finances. Bless their health. Bless their marriages. Bless their children. Bless their jobs. Bless everything that they're doing that's in line with your word, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus. We are victorious. You are good. We love you. In Jesus' name, can someone say amen? All right, let's do our Barstow Faith Confession. And a great big reminder, servant leadership tomorrow night at 6.30. If you don't know, you better ask somebody. Well, no, ask Leah, she'll tell you, all right? So uh, anyway, tomorrow night, if you're interested in that, all right? So uh, I think my daughter wants to do the Barstow Faith Confession. So come on up real quick on here, right? She was giving me the stink eye. Females have this ability, even from a young age. To, or, anyway, go ahead, baby, you got this? 
bars, though, is a blessed city. Our families are blessed. Our schools are blessed. Our churches are blessed. Barstow is healed. Barstow is prospering. Barstow is safe. Barstow is surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. Barstow is full of love, joy, and peace. Barstow is full of the glory of God. Barstow is coming to Jesus. Barstow is saved. In Jesus' name, amen.